Welcome to Pilates Elephants Podcast with me, Natalie Wilson, as well as Kyle Marsh and our regular host, Raphael Bender. I'm going to be hosting today. This is really exciting. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for having me. Ditto. So today, we're going to be talking about career paths and possibilities in the Pilates world, or as you like to call it, Kyle, Pilates land. So the framework that I want to set up for us is, I've got my Pilates certification, now what? This isn't just a conversation for new Pilates instructors or Pilates instructors in training, but also for Pilates instructors who might be ready to move along from their current position, whatever that may be. So I'm trying to think about the best place to start. I guess maybe one place to start is to talk about what you've done with your certification, the your personal trajectory of your certification. And I'm, I'm going to start with you, Raf. Well, I worked, when I was first certified, I was working at a place in Sydney called Elixir uh, Health Clubs. And that's, I was an employee there and I did my certification through them sort of as a favor to them because I needed someone extra. And uh, so I taught a, a bunch of classes there for a while. Uh, and then that was maybe a year or, or so, maybe a bit more that I worked for them after I was certified. And then uh, I came down to Melbourne here uh, because my wife and I were having a baby and our families were, were here. And then we started our own business. And since then, I've been basically unemployable. Uh, and so I've, I've owned the studios and I've, uh, I now own a, a, an education company, Pilates education company. And I would, so I basically haven't had a job as such in Pilates since, you know, 2007. Um, so I'm a little bit out of the loop when it comes to like job hunting and, and stuff. Although I, I have a lot of experience and insight on the other side of like what it's like to be the employer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, it's the same with my exercise physiology qualifications. I'm, I'm a accredited exercise physiologist, which means I've got like government health rebate, you know, Medicare numbers and all the rest of it here in Australia. But I don't practice because uh, I'm much more interested in, in teaching people how to be Pilates instructors. I feel like at some point we're going to have to have a separate podcast episode about why you consider yourself to be unemployable. So let's put Let's put parentheses around that because I think that'll be a really fun topic to, to discuss. Um, so, Raf, for you, it seems like you started off in perhaps a was Elixir a boutique studio? Uh, it was like an it was a mind body health club, and so when you when you hear the word health club in Australia, anyway, what that means is uh, just like a gym, only triple the price, and you get free white towels. Kyle's smiling because it sounds like, Kyle, you also worked for a similar situation. Okay, so you got your certification, and for a little bit, you worked in more of a cor corporate atmosphere, and then you've gone independent, um, and you've gone the education and training route as opposed to just teaching. Uh, you did own a studio for a while, so that is something that I think we could probably touch on too. Kyle, what about you? What happened when you got your certification or certifications? Because I feel like you have at least two. I do. Um, well, first of all, all of them were a mistake. And I really enjoy Raph's um, description of being unemployable because I feel like I'm steadily working myself in that direction. 
Um, so it started, I was a dancer, like a professional dancer. And I also have a master's degree in dance education because um, at one point I did work actively as a dance educator. And when I was doing my master's, the same graduate school that I got my master's from started this like pilot Pilates program. And they also were like, we really need people to do this because it was their sort of test to see if it was going to work to essentially run um, this larger certification within the body of a university. So basically the university I was going to outsourced teacher training to Polestar and they were trying to see if they could make it work because their idea was if you embed something like that in a dance program, you would get lots of people, which was true. So I got to basically do my first (laughs) cert by accident and almost for free. Um, And I did it while I was teaching dance. So it wasn't, I didn't take it very, or I took it seriously because everyone who was an adult in my life at that time was concerned about how I was going to make money in the world as a dancer. And so they all peer pressured me into pursuing this Pilates certification, um, which was basically being handed to me. And so I did. Um, And so I did that and I didn't use it really intentionally for a while because I still continued to dance and to teach dance and essentially make no money. And then um, a couple years in, I was coming off of a dance contract. So for people who aren't familiar, a lot of us freelance artists, um, because I never danced formally full time for a company, I did a lot of projects, which means you get essentially like four months worth of work and then you have no idea what the rest of your life looks like. And the work that you're doing for those four months is always extremely, at least in the US, underpaid. So I was coming off of a dance contract and I ran into a friend who was like, hey, um, I don't know if you wanna use your Pilates certification in any active way, but if you do, I'm desperately looking for instructors. And I thought, okay, sure, why not? Because I should probably use this thing that I've had in my back pocket. And she basically peer pressured me into working for Equinox, which is why I was smiling at Raf's free white towels comment, because that is also essentially what Equinox is. Um, Equinox, for people who aren't familiar, is a large luxury corporate gym chain. It is international. I have no idea how many studios they have at this point. Um, But at one point, it was like over 150 um, between the US, Canada and the UK. Um, And I kind of I worked in their studio, not very seriously, um, mostly because I was using the money to pay for my dance career and my life. And then through that just found or not found, but was invited to essentially become a teacher trainer for them, which meant that I got to do another teacher training cert, um, which was enticing to me at the time because I didn't think I was going to be a teacher trainer, but then it also led me into essentially becoming a teacher training manager for them um, and being one of three people that was running the teacher training department at Equinox for like the whole corporation for a short amount of time or for like five, four years. And then the pandemic happened. Um, And then Equinox fired all of us, which was really unfortunate. And so I was unemployed and I had to figure out what to do with my life. Um, And so I accidentally started the business and that's what I do now. That's amazing. You also have some corporate gigs, don't you? I do now. So um, corporate partnerships, I I should say. Yes. So um, we can talk more about this later because I know we want to talk about networking. But essentially, part of what I do now is um, I contract with a tech company and I started off as their 
wellness advisor in huge quotes. That was a title they gave me. I did not call myself that. Um, And essentially what that looks like now is that I train a select number of the corporate partners in house, like at their location. And then when they run events, I also um, come in and I run like essentially like movement classes that are related to the events that they're running. Awesome. All right. So um, I got my certification and I have a, I think I have a really good blend of both very traditional and non-traditional work. So once I got my certification, I started working for the boutique studio that trained me. So that was one of my jobs. It still is one of my jobs. I still do that. I also was teaching mat classes at a very large chain, um, chain, you should know this, YMCA. (laughs) I worked for the YMCA, um, my local branch of the YMCA, which is actually how I got started teaching Pilates in the first place or being introduced to Pilates. So I taught mat classes there, um, you know, which if for those of you who have never considered it, apart from larger studios and smaller studios, there's plenty of Pilates work in gyms as well. Um, So I did that for a bit. And then some of my more interesting work, I did also have a corporate partnership. This, um, and speaking of networking, this was a, a company that makes plywood or press wood. You know, like you take wood bits and pieces, you blend it all up and you press wood. So there's a company, um, in the Seattle metropolitan area and they hired me to teach Pilates in their wellness studio. Love that gig. Um, so I worked with them for a bit. Uh, I also work for a hospital here in the Seattle area and I work uh, at a, at the multiple sclerosis neuroscience clinic, which is really fun. And then of course I work for breathe. Lots of really fun things. So um, Kyle, I wanted to pop back to you because one of the things, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on was to give us a bird's eye view well, not a bird's eye view, really an insider's view on what it's like to work in uh, in a corporate setting, um, not necessarily the corporate partnership, but working for, uh, you know, like more of a big box gym and, and Ralph pop in anytime since you, you did as well. Yeah. So that's a great question. And I will also just add, because I forgot this in the, before I worked for Equinox, I did all like the subbing and things for small studios. So I've done like contracted work as well. I don't know what you would call that, but just like teach five classes for $57 a piece or whatever that was. I've done that too, Um, but not as consistently. Um, So the appeal in my mind, at least in the US, Equinox is the only corporation that I'm really familiar with. So I'm sure Raf can speak to others. Um, The appeal is that essentially, if you so choose, you can work, there's multiple ways in which you can work within a corporation. So a corporation like Equinox does group fitness, and they also have private Pilates studios, which means that the club has members that are a member of the whole club Equinox. Um, And those members may only choose to take group classes, but if they pay extra, they may also choose to come into the Pilates studio and train directly with you. And you could, as a Pilates instructor, choose to teach group classes and work for Equinox in that capacity and get some of the corporate benefits, which in the US, the things that were appealing to somebody like me um, were things like healthcare, a 401k, um, access to the gym and facilities. So if you're looking for something that feels closer to, 
I, I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but like a real job in quotes, like with the benefits, that is what I feel like, at least in the US, the corporate model has to offer. Um, and then just using Equinox as an example, if you chose to work in the studio, which I did both, I taught group fitness classes and um, taught in the studio and eventually found that for me, working in the studio was just a better fit. Um, if you work in the studio, you do have the option to work your way towards salaried jobs. So these would be jobs that it depends. I don't know what the actual numbers are anymore because I've been out of it. But when I was working for Equinox, you could become a studio manager, which means you would work in a club or a location because each club is a location and you would manage that specific Pilates studio, all of its clients and all of um, the teachers in the studio that worked under you. And you would get paid a base salary for that starting at like $65,000. And then you could also make on top of that your pay per session if you continue to do that and teach. Um, and there was a lot of different, I could talk more specifically about how those pay structures kind of looked when I was there, if that's interesting. Um, another thing to know about that type of corporate culture is that there's also the option to eventually work your way up to being like a regional manager, which means you could still be working within the Pilates department, but managing three or more Pilates studios in three or more different Pilates clubs. Um, and so I think that if you're looking for job security, paid maternity leave, which is really big in the U.S., um, and healthcare, and somebody who's going to contribute to your 401k, that is a reason to make that choice. Um, I will also say that as somebody who did do that and initially loved it and then towards the end really hated it, um, one of the things that you have to consider when you're choosing to pursue a sort of corporate gig like that is that it is very corporate. So things that I found frustrating, for example, is that because Equinox, which is the example I'm discussing, is an enormous corporation. So there are many people between you and the people at the top. So if you want what seems to you as a lowly Pilates instructor, a, like a simple fix for your studio. So for example, um, the initial studio I taught in was not soundproof. And there was a Soul Cycle studio right next to us. And every time Soul Cycle would happen, there would be blaring music in our studio, and all five of the instructors would be yelling, and we were all losing our voices because, you know, we were screaming over Soul Cycle every two hours. Um, that seems like it should be a really easy thing to fix like, just move the Pilates studio, soundproof the walls. But because it's a corporate environment, your manager has to ask another manager, they have to ask another manager, and you just keep going up the chain. And so that type of fix can really take anywhere from like a month to four months or more. And so you do run up against what I would consider to be a little bit of inefficiency and just like slow, slow ability to be adaptive or not the, the lack of ability to be really adaptable and nimble. Decision making can be very slow. Um, so that's a, a thing I would say that can be a downside of that type of work. Yeah, that sounds about right. Raph, what do you want to add about working for corporate? And then versus you were a small business owner, a, a boutique owner, what what's what are some of the the benefits and drawbacks? Yeah, so I, I didn't mention it before, but I actually worked when I was very first started my studio in 2007. At the beginning, we actually weren't making any money. And I actually had a couple of 
jobs in little boutique studios. I would teach kind of casually like five classes a week here and five classes a week there across town. So I've had a little bit of experience of that as well. I think for me, the 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 benefits of the the corporate thing were less about the wage and the you know the health care and the the superannuation um but i really learned a lot about running a business and how to sell uh in that environment um you know when you've got when you're working in a health club that's got you know 8000 members and it turns over x number of million dollars a year like they, they've got systems for how to acquire clients and and how to fill their classes and how to you know increase the lifetime value of each customer and and, and I think uh, you know the vast majority of of boutique studios don't have wouldn't even know what those things are most of them you know it's like it's just people walk in the door sometimes they sign up sometimes they don't you know it's in the lap of the gods sort of thing. Um, uh, and so I think I got a I got a very solid grounding in sales. That's where I learned to sell um, in that environment. And I think the other benefit for me as a Pilates instructor was like your classes are always full. Basically, they you served up with a chocker block, you know, class full of clients. You know, every time on time. And it's like you don't have to lift a finger to make that happen, apart from take great classes and be personable with the, the clients. But you don't have to like go out canvassing people on social media or, you know, et cetera. I'm not that, I mean, that was even before social media. It's like this was in 2004, you know, the iPhone wasn't even invented. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I think those were the things, those were the main things for me. I think I found it much more difficult in the small boutique studios. So I went from uh, Elixir when I worked there, they had 20 reformers in their studio. And this was in 2004. This was unheard of. It was inconceivable. You know, I remember reading a pamphlet from Stop Pilates, a marketing email saying like, you know, if you want to make like lots of money, consider putting in like three reformers into the same room and having like three clients at once. And this was way back, you know, pre-2010 still, but uh, you know, that kind of made me chuckle. Uh, and so that inspired me to open, when we opened Breathe in Melbourne, we had 20 reformers in the studio because um, I just saw how the math worked. You know, I saw, I saw the financials of that gym and I was like, oh crap, this is, you know, this is how you make money <laughs> from Pilates. And so I guess it really fired my entrepreneurial spirit, that that experience, although there were, you know, certainly negatives um, to it. But I think, you know, that's there with any any role, there are always pros and cons. I mean, it's the same with everything, right? Choosing a life partner, pet, you know, it's like great dog sheds hair, you know, great wife can't cook, you know, great kids don't want to talk to you, um, you know, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> um, the, you know, the, there's always pros and cons to everything. And so everything's a trade-off in my view. And it's like, well, what what's important to you and what can you live with or without? Um, so, yeah, when I worked in, in the smaller studios, I guess – what I enjoyed more was the closer relationships with the clients. So instead of having like, you know, 50,000 clients flowing through a week and you're just like, they're faceless, nameless, you know, clients, you've got your four or five clients that you have on a Saturday morning and they're the same four or five clients and they never seem to get any fitter or any better. <laughs> They've been coming for a decade, <laughs> but they seem pretty happy, you know. <laughs> still keep coming back. Um, but also I found that quite 
in the end of do, you know, I did that for probably a year when we first started Breathe or Being. I, I found that quite challenging as well. And I think I've said this previously on air, but basically I I don't love working with the same small group of clients long term. Like that's not how I like to work. I, I always need like I feel I need new, you know, when it comes like I get really excited about helping someone get into a habit and you know, overcome their back pain or recover from their surgery or whatever it is. But it's like training them for the next five years just seems to me like not very appealing, you know, and that's not because I don't like the people. It's, I mean, maybe it is, I don't know. But, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I kind of found like, I found myself like dreading going to that, you know, Saturday morning class where it was going to be the exact same five people and Mary was always going to be late and, you know, John was going to still forget how to adjust the foot bar, even though I'd showed him the last 35 weeks in a row. And, you know, (laughs) um, and so, yeah, that was, that started to kind of get me down. uh, And that was kind of one of the reasons I left, although Breathe Wellbeing also just kind of took off and I I had to leave there. But, you know, I think the corporate world's a great place to learn some of those more harder business skills like sales, admin, uh, marketing, stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. You have talked about that. Ka, yes, go for it. <laughs> I Yeah, I actually, uh, Raf just jogged my memory. That's literally, working corporately taught me all those things. The way that they onboard you and how to get clients and how to manage your clients and how to manage your own schedule and essentially build a schedule that works for you. All those things were built into how I was onboarded as a corporate employee. And those are all things that I absolutely use to run my own business now. I took that for granted. I forgot. I forgot that's where I learned that. I've never worked for a corporate business. Like uh, here would be Club Pilates. I don't think there's an Equinox here in Seattle. Although as, as I was listening to Kyle, I'm really curious if the Equinox and the SoulCycle were gyms that my brother-in-law frequented just based on where you're located and where he was. I'm going to have to ask him, was there a Pilates studio next to your soul cycle? Um, I have never worked for corporate, but I do have friends here in Seattle who do. They work for Club Pilates. I actually have friends elsewhere in the States who work for Club Pilates. And I think there are so many wonderful perks to working for corporate just because they have more money, right? So there's, there's just more, there's more flexibility to do things and for training and equipment and all those things. But I have to say, like, one thing that I love about working at a small business, you know, uh, the studio that I work for and also for Breathe, which I consider to be a small business is I have such close contacts with leadership that anytime it's like what you said, Kyle, it's just like, if there's an issue, I have people on speed dial, you know, like if there's an issue, I feel like I can get those things, get the conversation going and get those things resolved because there's so few layers between me and leadership. And that's always been, that's always been the thing that I really love. Um, But I'm also with you, Raph, like I do work for a small studio in a neighborhood and I really do love my regular clients, but it does get, I do, I don't have this problem, but I know of people who feel very pressured to do programming differently because they worked with the same people for 10 years. And it's just like, oh, I got to do something fresh because, you know, they, they're coming in all the time. So, yeah, let's talk about, um, I think talking about boutique studios is not super interesting because that's typically what the Pilates industry is all about. But I'm curious to um, know what it's like, Kyle, for you to go solo and, and Raf, you, you run a business teaching people how to go solo. Let's, let's talk about that because I don't think, 
I don't think a lot of people, well, I don't know. I was, I don't find a lot of our students at Breathe necessarily think too much about going solo. Most of them have gone to Pilates at a corporate studio or a small boutique studio. They've become inspired and that's what they want to do. And opening their own business or going solo is just an afterthought. Yeah. Can, can I just jump in here and say, like, yeah. before we get onto the solo business thing, I agree with what you just said there. And I think that's really important that I'd like to tease that out a little bit more about, I think people typically, you know, are, you know, love Pilates, they're doing Pilates at their local studio, whether that's a club Pilates or a boutique place or whatever. And they're like, oh, and they're looking at their instructor. They've got kind of like the stars in their eyes and like, oh, could I be you one day, you know? And and then they, then they, 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 they don't, I, I, it seems to me like after talking with hundreds, probably thousands of, of Pilates instructors now at this stage where they're just taking that leap, they don't usually think much beyond like, oh, I'll be, instead of at my corporate job, I'll be wearing active wear and having a latte at 10 in the morning. And then I'll jump on the reformer and do some workouts and have some classes and then I might teach someone, you know, later in the evening. Like so they don't kind of think past the kind of glossy Instagram, you know, sort of version of what it means to be a Pilates instructor. And they don't realize or they don't think about like, oh yeah, well it's great to work at that studio, but I'm actually working like two two classes before work and then I've got seven hours off and then I'm teaching two classes at dinner time so I can't be with my kids. And so at the end of the day I've basically like eliminated all of my family time and I've taught four classes at $35 a class. And, you know, so it's like they, they don't actually, and because I'm out of home for seven hours, I bought myself seven pumpkin spice lattes and a, you know, sushi roll at $25 or whatever. And it's like, you know, if I take out tolls and petrol, it's like I'm you know, $30 better off in my pocket at the end of the day. Um, and so I, th- I think, you know, people don't really think that through before before they kind of sign up for the training a lot of the time. Uh, and so I think what's, you know, what's powerful about your own starting your own thing is you get to control how much you earn and when you work. And I think those, and, and how you work, obviously, as well. And I think that, you know, there's that's underrated, very, very underrated. Absolutely. No, I think it's true. Kyle, um, when, so you during the pandemic, your job was eliminated. What made you decide to go solo instead of scrounging around and looking for something else that was already an established business? Well, that's a good question. But before I answer that, I want to go back to what Raf just said, because um, I think there's potentially an interesting point to tease out there as well, which might be useful for your graduates and also anyone who is in the either like, I'm thinking about becoming a Pilates instructor conversation. And that is that I think in the beginning, like when you first start working, or at least this was my experience and you two can speak differently if you had different experiences, you kind of say yes to everything because you need to make money and because you don't know what you're doing and because you just are looking for opportunities. So I personally did not start out with a plan that was organized and how I was going to pursue becoming a Pilates instructor. I just kind of said yes to stuff and then realized at one point that I was waking up in, at 4.30 in the morning, every morning to like commute into the city to teach a client at 6 a.m. and then work an eight-hour shift, which was like really not sustainable. And I don't know how 26-year-old me 
did that for more than a year until I finally completely burnt out and quit and then realized I could have just said no or like adjusted my schedule. Um, and I know that I'm not the only person who's had that experience. Um, and so I'm wondering if before we talk about me being an independent business owner, if it makes sense for the two of you or me or whoever to talk about what you think an initial career, I don't know, uh, like the exploration of how you want to structure, how do you decide what you want your schedule to look like? And how do you figure out where you want to work? Raf, you want to go? You used to hire people who wanted a Monday nine through five. I guess uh, my view on this has changed over the years. And I think when you're first starting out, Kyle, like you say, you don't know anything. And if if you're, I mean, you, you shouldn't, you know, when you finish your certification, you should know how to teach but you don't know how the industry works, et cetera. So uh, you, I think you should at that stage, you know, like a mentor of mine says you should, you know, when you, when you work for somewhere, you should either earn or learn, you know. And I think at the very outset of your career, when you just graduate, I think you should be in learning mode. So you should go and work for people who are better than you at something that you want to be become better at, whether that's the business side, the teaching side, you know, whatever it might be. And just go, it's like, and I don't mean like go work for free. I mean, it's like, just go work, but don't make a big thing about the money. Just take every opportunity to hang around and watch them do their thing and get feedback and mentoring from them and, you know, give value in exchange by teaching a bunch of classes and, you know, doing your best, your best effort. And then at some point you start to realize that it's like, oh, I'm getting the hang of this and my classes are full and, you know, the clients are requesting me and when I have a week off, the classes are half empty and, you know, they're asking me to do more and more classes. And so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting feedback telling me that, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting good at this. And at that point you start working to earn, right? So you either go to your employer and say, look, I think, you know, I've been working here for a while now and it's, you know, I've become more more skilled and as you can see my classes are full and I think it's time we had you know revisited my my remuneration or you just go elsewhere right so somewhere bigger that can afford to pay you more maybe somewhere that's closer more convenient you know better hours consolidate all your shifts into one etc but I think it is appropriate at the beginning to be rushing across town to teach shifts harem scarum everywhere for whoever whenever however so that you can learn. One of the things you've got to learn is like, well, who the heck do I want to work for? You know, um, and you might have this great vision of like, oh, I've got this lovely person I want to work for. And it might be great. They might be a lovely person, an amazing instructor, but maybe they're terrible at running a business. And you don't know that until you, you get inside there. Uh, and, and you realize, oh, actually, no, this isn't what I expected. And, and you don't know that until you start doing it. So you have to, I think, give yourself the opportunity to be exposed to different opportunities really and then and at some point that that flips and you then are like oh yeah no i'm good at this now and i can actually have some negotiating power you know in 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 about my salary and my conditions my hours and stuff yeah i agree with you raf i feel like the old-fashioned lady when i say you know it's just the that's just part of the growing phase. Like it's, you know, it's, it's the work that the caterpillar has to do to become a butterfly is you just have to hustle a little bit, especially in the beginning when you don't have a lot of experience and you're coming up against jobs, um, with people who have more experience than you. And and I think, um, like you, Kyle, for me, I started off really expansive and said yes to everything. And then as I got more experience and more clout, I began to cull down really what I what I wanted to. And now I feel like I'm at a point where I can be more, um, I can come to the negotiating table a little bit stronger. 
Yeah. And Raph, I really like the phrase that you said. I, I like to use it too, that you work at a place where you either learn or earn or ideally both. <laughs> That's like the gold standard for me is working someplace where you learn and earn. That's yeah. Cool. But but I think that if you if you're at the very start of your career and there's somebody, for example, and your goal is to earn, right? You want to make money. Well, if you go work for somebody who's got a very financially successful business and they pay you peanuts, well, if you work for them for six months and learn how to do marketing and sales and hiring, it's like, that's going to be worth tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars to you to learn those skills. So it's like, it's worth taking a $20,000 a year pay cut for a few months, in in my view, in order to get a lifetime worth of the ability to earn $50,000 a year more. I think you're also in that instance, potentially, or well, depending on where you choose to work, you're also, this is going to tie into the networking piece. Um, you're kind of building your the network that you're going to tap yourself into as a Pilates instructor. So I know that living in New York City, this is really true. The type of studio and the location of the studio that you choose to work in says a lot about the types of clients that you are going to have access to. So if you're thinking strategically about who can afford Pilates um, and you go work at a studio that is surrounded by people who can really afford Pilates and see it as a valuable thing, you are investing in that network of people, not just clients, but instructors and people who are going to ask you to cover their clients for them when they're gone or sub their classes. And so I think that's another potential upside of being a yes person in the beginning if you're strategic if you think about that type of thing i think that's something yeah. i'm sorry to jump in there I, I've, i think that's something that a lot of people in this industry kind of don't think through clearly kyle I, it's like well if you want to make money sell things to people who've got money you know it's like <laughs> that it seems pretty straightforward right <laughs> Um, but I think that as an industry we've, and as a profession, we're very conflicted about making money from Pilates. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number. Of, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time someone said, I want to make my Pilates classes accessible, right, I'd be a bazillionaire by now. Um, but and, and I'm all for making things accessible to people, right? But I think that what where people don't think through it is they think about, I want to make my classes accessible. I, you know, I don't want to just be for rich people. Therefore, I'm going to charge everyone a, a pittance, you know, and at my own expense, I'll be eating, you know, plain label baked beans on, on toast and my clients will be paying me a pittance per class. Uh, and it's like, well, that is that really, you know, sustainable? And you're going to go to, go to resent your clients and eventually you're just going to have to find something else. You're going to burn out. Um, and and you, you might be one of those people later down the track saying, oh, I tried Pilates, it didn't work for me, you know. Um Whereas, you know, you can, you, there's nothing to say that, you know, just because you want to have, give people access to Pilates doesn't mean you don't, you can't also charge rich people a lot of money to do Pilates. You know? So go teach in Manhattan where people, you know, light their cigars with $100 bills and, you know, charge accordingly. And then on the weekend, do a free community class, you know. In in and I don't know I don't know the neighborhoods in New York very well, but just let's just say like is it Queens or somewhere that's like not an upmarket neighborhood, right? Somewhere where people can't afford it. Go there, give your community class, do it for free. Come one, come all, right? And then in the week, two hundred and fifty dollar an hour privates for the Manhattan lawyers. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Perfect. 
Yeah, so this actually, I mean, I don't know if this is a segue, but this loops back to me answering Natalie's question of how I decided to go independent. And I have to be transparent and say that it wasn't a decision. I wasn't that brave. It just happened by accident because I had access to wealthy clients through the connections that I had at Equinox. I had already cultivated those relationships without knowing them because those were the people that I was teaching. And when Equinox fired me and all of the other people on our team, all of my clients still wanted to work out because everyone was trapped in their homes. So I was in a very unique position to absorb all of them. And that is essentially how I started my business. And to your point, Raf, um, and I say this quite proudly, like all the people that I work with privately, including the corporate um, contract that I have, those people pay me a lot of money, like more money than I would charge any of my friends to do Pilates with me. And that actually enables me to then offer Pilates to the people that I love in my life for no money or very little money. Um, and it is a, like, I do do that. Like we, my husband and I are part of a Capoeira community, which is a Brazilian martial art. Um, and I, I teach a free Pilates mat class for our Capoeira group because I can, and I love to, and it's fun and it is giving back to people who really need that, who definitely would not be able to afford, I can't even afford my own services. I'm kidding. But um, the, the people who find it valuable are willing to pay for it. And um, I do feel for me specifically, part of the benefit is coming from where I live. I mean, I do travel into the city to do the work that I do, um, but it is worth it to me because of the fact that I've been able to tap into a network of people who their version and concept of money is totally different than regular people. Hey, Raph, I'm curious, um, you know, those, the people who are coming to you to learn about how to go out on their own, what, what is their, what's their, their driving force? Is it, is it to make more money or is it to have more flexibility? I think it's, it's both. Um, yeah. You know, since COVID, the the concept of teaching online really has come of age, and it's now a thing. You know that you now look at this Google search volume, and there are actually people searching for Pilates online. You know, even reformer Pilates online, people are searching for. So it's something that clients have a lot more comfort with. And whereas you know, five years ago, you would have had to really work to convince someone that online Pilates would be anywhere near half as good as an in person Pilates. Now there are actually people who prefer it. You know, because they they can they've got their reformer in their spare bedroom, and they, you know, they they prefer to, to seek out the best possible instructor and have zero travel time and no parking and always get their preferred reformer machine and all of those you know you know um, benefits rather than you know navigate through traffic to a crowded studio and whatever. So so I think it's really come of age now and you know the benefits are that and, and you come I mean, you can do your own thing in person as well. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with working in person. It can be extremely lucrative uh, if you're in a neighborhood where people can afford to pay high prices, right? But if you happen mm-hmm. to be in a neighborhood where people can't afford to pay high prices, well don't sell to those people because they won't pay you high prices. Like you know, go somewhere else and the easiest way to go somewhere else that doesn't involve uprooting yourself and moving across town or to a different city or country. You just sell to people where, you know, sell to people in Manhattan from Nigeria or wherever you happen to be, but just sell to people who live somewhere. They've got a lot of money to spend on their health. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's much easier to make more money 
and it's much easier to make your own hours. You know, like if you're a morning person, you can choose to work. I mean, you can choose whatever hours you want, right? You just make your own hours. You can do it around kids. You can do it around a, a day job. You can do it around part-time study. You, you know, you can like do it around whatever you want, or you can just work 15 hours a week and spend the rest of your time having pumpkin spice lattes. It's like, you know, you really get to say, hey, I'm not going to work Thursdays or whatever it might be. So I think it, it's both the flexibility and the money. And when you do the math, like if you run, and this is what my whole book's about and what the program we teach is about, but if you run a four-on-one group where you charge people $49 for a semi-private, that's $200 an hour, you know? And there are people all over the internet charging that. You know, like if you just do a quick search of Pilates semi-privates and you go to like some of the affluent places like California or Florida or New York or whatever, it's like, that's cheap for a semi-private, you know, $49. And so it's, it's, and all you need is like 20 clients, 24 clients to make $100,000 a year with that model. It's like 24 clients, four on one, twice a week, like you'd be literally teaching like 12 hours a week, you know. The math is just insane when you do it. And I don't think people realize this. They they think, you know, they're down at the local studio teaching for 30 or 40 or even $50 an hour, which, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? Like I'm, you know, there's, there's a place absolutely for local studios and there are things you get from working in a workplace with, you know, comrades and, and in-person clients that you don't get from being your own boss. But you know, the money you just can't compare, you can't hold a candle. There's no way an in-person studio is going to be able to pay you the kind of money that you can earn and or give you the kind of flexibility that you crave, you know, that you would get working for yourself. And I think, you know, just to round that out, like I think a lot of people, it's interesting the, the, the kind of decision process that I see people going through is they, they almost always start the conversation by saying, I'm not motivated by money. I just love Pilates and I want to share the love that I've experienced and the benefits that I've experienced. And I 100% believe them. But then a little bit later in the conversation, they say, yeah, but I've been really stressed about money and I don't have enough time and I can't afford, you know, to buy my kids school books. And so it's like, all right, well, I don't care about money, but on this other hand, it's like money really is a problem. <laughs> You know, so wouldn't it, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was, if I had more money? Yes, it would be great. And so I, I'm not sure what the the disconnect is in people's thinking, but like they do care about money a lot because they don't have enough of it. And I, it's not to say that money is like a value for them. You know, it's like, what are your top values? Oh, money. You know, it's money. So that's not what I mean. But it's like, well, they probably spend a lot of their conscious attention thinking about money because it's not enough of it and they have to make decisions about trade-offs between things that they want to buy that they can't afford. And so even though they're not like, they think like I'm not not motivated by money, I like family, I like having an impact, but it's like, well, would your life be easier if you had an extra 5,000 a month? Yes, it would, (laughs) you know? And all of a sudden it's like, sometimes you see just like kind of the cogs turning they're like oh yeah this could be like this could actually make a difference you know this could really actually change my life and and give me more time to spend with my family and you know do the things i want to do live maybe in a neighborhood i want to live in or whatever or travel or whatever it might be and so i think that's kind of paradoxical that in this industry where it we're basically everybody's brought by a vocation you know like no one comes to pilates because it's like oh, it's a money-making opportunity and that's why i want to do it you know it was either this or merchant banking you know um 
you know, so we all come here because we love to help people. We love to move. We love to help people, you know, move their bodies better. And I think that we've got this kind of weird kind of cultural thing where it's kind of cultural cringe about making money. It's like, well, if you make money or if you even say you want to make money, that somehow detracts from or is means that you care less about the people. It's like, well, why can't you care a lot about the people and also want to make really good money? Well, and I know in my experience too here in Seattle and Kyle, I know for you living in New York City, a lot of Pilates studios are in urban centers and it's expensive to live in the city. So you could have all the passion you want to teach Pilates, but if you're teaching and you hope to make a living wage, living close to the studio in which you work, which is typically in the cities, like that's really difficult to do, um, you know, at, at some of the wages, the starting wages for Pilates studios. I think one of the benefits to working on your own, um, and I, I, I do, I am a private contractor for the hospital, so I get to set my own, I get to set my own rules and I get to set my own rate. But Raf and Kyle, you have a lot more experience than me. One thing we haven't mentioned as a perk for working on your own is, um, you get to set the tone and the style of the Pilates that you want to teach. And so for a lot of Pilates Elephants podcast listeners, you are um, attracted to this podcast because we tend to shake things up a little bit and we break the rules a little bit. And I know from experience talking to some of my friends who work for studios and corporate gigs, they have to abide by some of the rules. So they are required to follow some really arbitrary rules. I'm not going to name this company or this person because I don't want her to get in trouble. But for instance, like in a certain leveled class, she can't teach low kneeling exercises or facing or elephant, because even though they're holding on to the bar, that's standing and you can't do that in this certain level of class. Like these are just really arbitrary rules. Or, you know, if you have pregnant clients coming in, then they have to stop going to group class. And the studio policy is they have to only now do privates because (laughs) it's dangerous. (laughs) I say that in air quotes, but you know, that's, I think for me, if, if there was ever a reason for me to become unemployable, it's because there are, there are lots of things that are still happening in the Pilates industry that I don't like specifically when it comes to teaching styles and beliefs. I think they can cut both ways though. I mean, I a hundred percent agree and that's why I own my own business and that's why I teach people to start their own businesses. But I think it can cut both ways. Like I'm thinking about Nike, uh, who was on this podcast just a couple of weeks back. She's got an amazing studio. She's a breathe grad. She's got an amazing studio in Sydney uh, and she employs like-minded people and they have got an incredibly, you know, close-knit team that are fully on the same wavelength and aligned about how they want to teach and the experience they want to provide and the results they want to provide for their clients. And there's a lot of comfort in being in a team where people are on the same wavelength and you can get to work and you can, you know, open up Instagram and both do the eye roll together when you see that post, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and there is a great freedom in them being able to workshop ideas together. And, you know, so I think if, yes, it is hard out there if there's no one around in your area that, you know, is on the same wavelength and you have to sort of compromise on the way you would like to do things in order to sort of make a crust. But if, if there is the opportunity to work with somebody who's, very much aligned, like that can be a magical thing. Yeah. 
What are, um, uh, I'm going to bring it back to Kyle or, or even you, Ref. What are some other non-traditional Pilates career paths? So I, I'd mentioned that I, you know, Kyle, you work, hey, you have a corporate partnership. I've worked with a corporate partnership. I work at a hospital. What are some of the strangest places that you know of people doing teaching Pilates? This is going to be really uh, random, but uh, bachelorette parties or like as like pop up it there. So I have a bunch of friends who are still they used to be dancers. They moved into the circus world and as a result became event planners um, and they plan events <laughs> for people who come to them. And there's like a lot of um, or I've heard of like I've never taught them, but bachelorette parties and like company parties where people want to have an experience together. Um, and so they'll have you come in and do like a class that's based around an experience, which I had never heard of that before. But Yeah, Reese Leffingwell, who was on this podcast just a couple of weeks back, um, you could have been really describing her business there. She's in Texas and she's got an event, she does an events business and she goes out and does like uh, uh, hen's nights, essentially, um, bridal parties. And she teaches them Pilates and puts on bottles of champagne and, you know, gives them a great experience. And Pilates is part of that, but it's a, it's, it's really an events business that she's got. And Pilates is just kind of one of the, you know, one of the components. Yeah. I actually was, um, I'm in this like discovery phase of my personal business. So I've been like interviewing all of these other successful fitness entrepreneurs and I am totally blanking on her name and her company right now. I can remember it and we can put it in the show notes. Um, but that's essentially, she started a business that is basically fitness events for people who need them. And like she shops, like she'll do all of these like retreats and workshops or like pop-ups in corporate offices or in grocery stores to like promote a health food store. Just like I'd never, it had never occurred to me that that could be a business. And mm. this woman, I can't remember her name. She's based out of Chicago. That's her whole business, <laughs> basically. Mm. Instagram yeah, that, is, a, that were- is a great place as well. Like there are Instagram influencers. I mean, it's, you know, you need tens of thousands of followers, I think, to make it a full-time living, but uh, there are people that, that do that and that's that's the route they, they take. Kyle, you reminded me that I, I know a couple of people here in Seattle who are Pilates instructors who do Pilates retreats, you know, to fancy places. I say fancy because I live here in Northeast Seattle, but, you know, like Italy and Nicaragua Mm -hmm. and places like that to have trips, retreats for relaxing, but also doing yoga and Pilates. That seems so fancy and exciting to me as a homebody. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that was actually something I thought that I really wanted to do at one point. And a friend and I were kind of building a concept for a business where we would do that. And when I started to look into it, and I know there are people who do this, the, the number of logistics involved and the insurance that you, in theory, need for that type of business was really, I'm not saying don't do it. I know there are people who do do it. But for me, I was like, yeah, no, pass. <laughs> really intense. The coolest place I've ever done Pilates is on a cruise to Alaska, like on a big cruise ship. And my Pilates teacher, his name is Sir, his his name is Sergey, and he was like this Ukrainian, like Olympic weightlifter. He was gargantuan, like one of his legs and arms was like the size of my trunk. He was just massive, and he taught Pilates. And I remember going to his class and um, introducing myself and telling him, "Oh, I'm a Pilates teacher too." And he was so nervous to have me in class. 
<laughs> and the thing that was so funny was he did this mat class um, using the magic circle, the Pilates ring. And, you know, he's, he's a weightlifter. He's gargantuan. So like he could, you know, if you imagine the Pilates ring with the two pads and, you know, you hold the outside of the pads and you squeeze, well, he could literally flatten the, the ring because he's so strong. And the lady next to me, who I think never took Pilates before, she was sweating bullets because she thought that she too needed to flatten the ring. <laughs> and so like, she's like whimpering next to me. And I was like, that's just Sergey. Look at how strong he is. You don't have to do that. Like just press as much as you can. Anyway, I just thought that was really funny. And I actually, Sergey wasn't the first Pilates instructor that I was aware of on a cruise ship, I knew somebody else here in Seattle who travels on a cruise ship and just teaches Pilates there. Um, you're actually reminding me. So um, there are also some of these gigs are paid and some of them are not, but a lot of um, high-end spas like uh, Rancho La Puerta, I'm trying to Canyon Ranch, um, these destinations, again, where rich people pay to go, I'm talking about these are in the US, but I'm sure there are versions of this all over the world. A lot of them re are in these beautiful rural locations because it's a spa and they always need or almost always need Pilates instructors or staff because as you can imagine in these rural locations, there are not a lot of people to hire. So I know, for example, um, with Rancho La Puerta, you, they have a program where you can either come and be an instructor there in exchange for your own vacation, um, or you can apply and come for like a longer residency, essentially where you would be paid and you obviously have to stay there. Um, and you teach classes and do the spa classes for the people who go to the spa kind of thing. Mm. Hannah Ryan also was on this podcast a while back. Uh, she's in Ireland and she's got a kind of a personalized on-demand online Pilates uh, platform. So she doesn't, I don't think she does live classes, but she releases classes kind of every week and people sign up for a, a program. Um, and so it's not like just kind of like Pilates anytime where it's kind of like a la carte. You, you sign up to a sequence or a, a course or whatever, but it's all on-demand and it's, it, but it's personalized. So yeah, so I think that's a really kind of interesting business model. Um, that she's creating. It's, it's all done around the 34 Contrology mat work exercises, basically. So yeah, I really love that model. Nathan Ross Reese, um, he's created his Reformer Academy. So he's teaching instructors very specific skills about how to use a Reformer to uh, improve strength, basically. Um, yeah, there, I think there's some fantastic, uh, clever people out there at the moment who are just doing really interesting things in the Pilates business space. Doesn't Heath also essentially do a reformer pack or a business where he's like yeah. basically what you just described? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Heath's, yeah, Heath's is, it's similar. It's in that it's like, yeah, it's for reformer instructors and it's a mentorship. Nathan's is really very specific about how to use, it's, Nathan's is about how to learn, learning how to use the tool, the reformer, um, and how to use spring tension and body weight to, to improve strength. Heath does cover that within his program. Um, but Heath is more general. It's a more sort of, I'd say, general teaching skill, advanced teaching skills um, program. Yeah, he does some crazy shit on the reformer, Heath. <laughs> yeah. So here's my question. So for those listeners, this is not their first rodeo. They've been teaching for a long time. Kyle, Raff, what do you say to those teachers who might be interested in transitioning to Pilates education as opposed to Pilates instruct instruction? 
if they wanted to be a Pilates teacher trainer, what are your, what's your advice? What's your advice, Kyle? Um, well, okay. The first thing I will say is I have met a lot of people who feel like the next career step after you've reached a certain tier of teaching or salary or whatever your measure is, is to become a teacher trainer. Um, and I think that if that really is something you're interested in, that's amazing. But also, if you're doing it because you feel like it's the next step or a career trajectory, there are more options and you don't have to do that is kind of what I want to say. Um, I come from a background in education. So for me, my brain loves that. I, I love academia. I love learning. I love teaching. I love teaching about learning. So for me, it was a really fun place to exist and work. Um, and it's something that I really miss. And I think that depending on the environment that you're placed in, so if you're in a corporate environment and they have a teacher training program, there's probably going to be, I know for me, there was a streamlined way that you get to uh, apply, audition, and then kind of go into that realm. Um, if you're somebody who is working in a boutique setting and you're trying to figure out how to get into education, um, I've seen a lot of really cool models of people who have built workshops and used the workshops or the one-off workshops that they do and essentially scaled them into something that becomes more of a built-out kind of course that they then can sell to studios as like a full education, um, continuing education thing. Um, and then in terms of being in a teacher or trying to get into teacher training, um, where it's your teacher training from the ground up and you're not just doing continuing ed. I know that there are a lot of studios, especially, I think this is pretty universal, but especially in New York City, I see them all the time because everyone is so desperate for instructors. Everyone I know is in the process of currently writing a teacher training program. Um, and so I think there is actually opportunity because most people in my experience set out to write a teacher training program and they don't actually understand how intense that is like to build a teacher training program from the ground up is a huge undertaking and to do it as one human is it's not impossible but it's very very difficult and i think people who don't have an understanding of what it takes to build a curriculum, get into it, and then find out that it's really messy. And so while there are a lot of studios who are in the process of writing teacher training programs, a lot of them end up becoming really desperate. They just end up copying whatever leftover manual they have from their previous teacher training. And so if you as a person who are like, I want to be a teacher trainer, they will probably hire you because they, they really, really need help. So <laughs> I don't actually know if it's that challenging. Um, I think if it's something that you're interested in, the opportunity is out there. Ralph? Yeah, I'd say a couple of things on that. I, yeah, I, think I wholeheartedly agree. I, I see people all the time, or I, people message me all the time and say, hey, I want to I want to start to teach a training program. And I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, because I've had my studio now for a while. And it's like, what's next for me? It's like, well, maybe just open a second studio or just be happy running your studio. If you love teacher training, great. Yeah, that's awesome. I love teacher training. But yeah, don't, it's not just like, it's not the next thing you automatically need to do after whatever you're currently doing. Um, but I would say, uh, as someone who's been doing, who's running a teacher training business full-time as my only job for the last decade and ran one part-time for about five years before that, 
the, the, the nuggets of wisdom I'd pass on to my younger self would be one, uh, don't necessarily copy the model of the people where you learn to be a teacher because they're probably not making much money. Um, so I would, if you want to start to teach a teacher training program, okay, the content of what we're doing is Pilates, but it's just an education course, right? So people run education courses in how to be a computer programmer, how to be a doctor, how to be a whatever, right? So there are people running really good, really profitable education courses in other fields. Go copy one of them in terms of their business model and their, you know, education curriculum design and stuff, and then just put the Pilates content in that, right? So rather than copying like the balanced body model of how you do a teacher training or the stop Pilates model, because the stop Pilates model, I don't know anything about balanced body, but I know the stop Pilates model. It's designed by stop Pilates. It's administered by stop Pilates. When you deliver it, you're as a licensed training center, which I was, you're paying a royalty to stop Pilates. So you're delivering someone else's content, right? Which is nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, You've got 0% control over how it's marketed, you know, the content, the delivery, what you charge, like all of that stuff is mandated by head office. And so it's like, and so the head office sets it up to their own advantage, you know, <laughs> so that as the, as the studio owner or the person delivering the training, you get a lot of prestige, but it's like you get, you know, 10 times the work for 20% more money sort of thing compared to, you know, running your studio. Uh, and you, if you just wanted more money, you'd be much better off to just knock out a wall and put in three more reformers. And, you know, <laughs> that would achieve a 50% increase in profit a lot of the time for, you know, 0% increase in, in work. So that would be one thing is the first thing is I would say is if you are, if you do have your heart set on it and it's something you really want to pursue and, it, and you're passionate about it, take the content that you're passionate about, but put it through a business model of something that makes a lot of money and don't copy Pilates training because it's a bad business model. Take it from me. I've done it. I've done that model. It's not a good business model. Uh, and we've shifted to a completely different business model. Now, like we don't deliver in, at all in, in any aspect the way that we used to deliver when we we're doing stop Pilates. Uh, the second thing I would say is um, come talk to us because uh, we've already done it. We've been doing this for 15 years and we've, made all of the mistakes that you haven't made yet and we've <laughs> paid for them uh, and we've now got a great model that really works and we know how to train people up and give them a great result and, and pop them out the end as super confident you know highly employable instructors and we can do it very predictably you know we've got a team that does it together and it's not reliant on one person you know showing up and being a superstar because we've got a team of people and uh be a mentor and an affiliate with us and uh, use our content and get money when you sign people up to our program and then we'll train you in how to be an educator and you can educate, you can like be part of the team that mentors them. So it's like, yeah, we've done all the hard bits. So have a teacher training program without writing, delivering, administering or marketing any of the con any of the program. Just get all the good bits like the, the credibility of being a teacher trainer and the money when you sign people up. <laughs> So, um, That's I'll exactly put, what I I'm did. Gonna, <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, um, we've, it's just a new program. We've been running it for a few months now. It's our mentor affiliate program. Uh, and we've, we haven't been taking enrollments. We've, like we got, I put an initial pilot group of people through it of uh, like 12 people. Uh, and we ironed out some of the glaring kinks in the systems and links that didn't work and whatever. Uh, but it's now working uh, well enough that I'm ready to take on more people. So it's like, yeah, if you, if, if you've been thinking about what's next for me and thinking maybe teacher training is a thing, but it's like, that seems like a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it is. Come, come, come talk to us. I would add to that. Like, yes, definitely do that program because I saw inside of it and it's awesome. 
And as anyone who's thinking that you want to start a teacher training program from scratch, the administrative role that you will have once your teacher training is running is like a whole separate part of your business that you haven't even anticipated yet. Like all of the students who are going to need all this extra help and all of these extra emails and all of this studio schedule, like just all of the logistics of running a teacher training program. It's not just writing the manual and like getting it off the ground. It's like you just started a whole second business to your first business. So if it is because you want to make more money, it's not, it's not efficient. <laughs> Yeah, if you're in business like and you want to make more money, the the best thing you can do is just do more of what you're already doing that's making money. Just do more of that. And if you think you want to be a teacher trainer, work for somebody else for a little bit and get some experience. Because I have, I well, this it's not a it's not a secret. This is my favorite job so far. But also, I have been I have worked for a teacher training program where even just little projects. To, you know, that we have to create. It's just huge. Like that's not the fun part. (laughs) The fun part to me is not creating the content. It's delivering the content. Um, Well, what, I guess maybe the way that I'd like to end this conversation, unless there are other things that you want to add is um, what career advice would you like to leave the listeners with before we, before we sign off? Well, I don't know if this is advice, but it was something I was thinking about that ties back to Raf's previous comments about making money and how making money doesn't have to be evil and how so many people in our industry are unaware of the fact that it's possible to make a good living um, in Pilates. And I want to be transparent and say that I 1000% was that person. I never... I partially because I came from an arts background and because nobody told me that it was possible and because I felt, or I didn't even know that I felt this, but I needed permission to be told that it was okay to ask for more, to pursue more, to, I don't know why, maybe it's also culturally because I'm a woman, I'm not sure. But I think, or I know that there are, I'm not the only person because I talk to people in the Pilates industry that are in that brain space all the time And I've been saying this a lot lately, um, but for whatever it's worth, I just want to reiterate that nobody needs permission. You don't need permission to make more money. You don't need permission to start your own business. You don't need anyone's permission to leave a job that you don't love. And I think that partially, Natalie, you and I have talked a lot about this, partially because of the way that Pilates culture is set up. And that's like a whole larger conversation. We've done many podcasts about that. You even just did one recently about the Pilates police. But because of Pilates culture, we often think, especially as the small, independent, lay Pilates instructor, that we don't have permission to do things that are bigger than what we're already doing. Or we get into this scarcity mindset where we feel like you have to keep teaching eight classes in a row and stacking your schedule because there's no other way to make money. And you don't have enough space because you're so burnt out by all of the things that you're doing to actually reorganize your brain and your schedule in a way that actually enables you to have a nice life. Um, and I really, I'm saying, I'm naming all of this because I was that person. And it took a pandemic and me being fired to realize that I could do things differently. And that's really extreme. And I hope that that is not what everybody on this podcast has to go through in order to learn that lesson. Um, I'm just really stubborn. So from the beginning, if you can enter the industry or you've been in the industry for a while, knowing that there is an immense amount of opportunity, 
um, both financially and professionally, and that you don't need anyone else's permission to pursue something differently, especially if you only see one very specific model in front of you. It's not the only model. The internet is an incredible tool. And you have permission, you have the ability, you have the skill, like go hang out with Raf and the Breeze team. Like there are people in the world who can help you change your life if you don't like what you're doing. What career advice do I have? Uh, I would say at the beginning of your career, the advice I have is different than if you're kind of further along in your career. And kind of, I'd like to just gently reiterate what I said at the, the start, which is if you're at the beginning of your career, I think you should be suitably humble about your experience and your skills and you should aim to learn and um, maybe you need to learn more skills. Maybe you need to learn uh, skills of Pilates. Maybe you need to learn about sales and marketing, uh, how to run a business, hire people, run a studio, whatever it might be. So go seek out people who are good at those things and just hang out with them and, and work with them. Uh, and so that's my advice there. And and I would I would advise against you know thinking like, well, I'm worth this much, and you know I I deserve you know. Because I don't think there is any worth and there is any deserve. I think you get what you get remunerated for the value that you provide, uh, you know, multiplied by your skill in negotiating. Um, and when you're brand new and young, you probably don't have the ability to provide a massive amount of value, um, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're a quick learner or if you've got some good skills already, well, then you probably do have the ability to provide a lot of value. And then you should seek out a workplace or a business opportunity where you can get maximum return on that. And whatever maximum return means to you, whether that's like lots of free time or whether it's, you know, lots of money or sort of some kind of trade-off between the two. Uh, and that, you know, so so that's, I guess, the first thing is I think it, that my advice is different depending on where you are in your career in terms of your skills and your ability to deliver value. And when I say value, I mean like if you're an instructor working at a studio, well, the value delivery is full classes. And so if you can deliver full classes, you've got a good, strong negotiating position for your salary at that studio or some other studio. If you're not consistently delivering full classes, you should be in learning mode. You know, how do I deliver full classes time after time after time? And then way when you can go and sit down with the owner and say, hey, look, let's look at the last three months. I'm the top performing instructor. My classes are 87% full on average. I've got a wait list every day. You know, I think I think it's time we renegotiated my salary. Otherwise, I'm going down the road. You know, and you can say it with more love than I just said it then. But you know, that's basically <laughs> the conversation. Whereas if you walk in and you're off the street and you're brand new and you're like, okay, I've never taught a class in my life, uh, but I want to get this much money. It's like, well, why the heck would they <laughs> give you that much money? You know. Um, uh, so that's one thing. And then I think the second thing is and is not to not to be limited by thinking that you need to conform. You know, when I started out, I I felt like I needed to be a, quote, proper Pilates instructor. I donned the Lululemons. You know, I thought I need to wear what a Pilates instructor wears and say what a Pilates instructor says and do what a Pilates instructor does. So I, I tried to emulate those things. And unfortunately, I don't have straight brown hair that goes nicely into a ponytail. So that wasn't really going for me, but I did have the Lululemons. And I said all of the things like activate your core 47 times, you know, in one class and stuff like that. Uh, and because I felt like I needed to be, you know, 
be a proper one, you know, and I, I was play acting as play instructor. And so I emulated the, the people around me that I admired. And I think that's a good thing to do in general is emulate people that you admire. But, but I think seeking that sense of acceptance, validation from, you know, people we don't know really about being a proper Pilates instructor holds a lot of people back because if you strive to be like all of the other Pilates instructors around you, well, you'll get the same result they all get, which is probably working for $40 an hour, you know, all these places across town at hours that don't suit them and at the expense of their sanity and, and energy. So, you know, if you don't want what they've got, you know, don't do what they've done. Um, and, you know, be like, you know, Hannah, who started her own on-demand, you know, live, oh, sorry, on-demand Pilates platform, or like, you know, um, Reese, who started her own wedding events, you know, business with Pilates, featuring Pilates and champagne, or, you know, like, create something of your own, you know, do like, be the first like rock and roll Pilates teacher or, you know, like you, you don't have to fit in. You can just be you from day dot. Now, if you, if you're a rock and roll Pilates teacher, you're going to find it hard to find work at the local, you know, club Pilates, right? So that, that's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. Uh, and it's, you know, it, I don't want to say like, if you work at club Pilates, you're, you're kind of like selling out or anything. I don't think that for a second, but I would just say like, if it truly is your dream to work at Club Pilates, that's fucking awesome. And I'm so you know in favor of that. But if you feel like you're, you've got to work somewhere to be or do something a certain way to be a like a real Pilates instructor, that is just total bullshit. And that is just not going to lead to happiness. And you just be you. And there are people... There are people out there who will like you, you know, the rock and roll Pilates teacher. I'm thinking about Robin um, <laughs> when, uh, uh, when, you know, when, when I, when I say that, but yeah, I think be, be yourself. Now that's not compatible with the first piece of advice I said, which is when you're a brand new instructor, you should go out and seek to learn and sort of apprentice yourself, yourself to people. And I think at that very beginning, if you feel like, well, you don't have a fully developed skill set, well, no, don't be yourself, you know make yourself as valuable as possible to other people and learn as much as you can from them. And at some point you start to realize, oh shit, I'm really good at this stuff. You know, I've, I've got full classes and now I can be myself. And when I say be yourself, I mean like, you know, if you want to work at Club Pilates, you're going to have to do it the way Club Pilates wants you to do it, right? That's that's the price of working there. If you want to work at Equinox, you know, that's the price of working there. And in exchange, you get skills and a network and you know, experience and exposure to clients and, you know, colleagues and stuff. And at some point you can go, yeah, I, I think I could, I think I could do this on my own now, or I think I could take my skills elsewhere where I might feel like I fit better. Um, but yeah, I think don't be lured by need the need to fit in. It's hard to follow the both of you and your advice. I think what I'll leave the listeners with is that I think there might be some people in the industry that would make you believe that the table is limited and small. And that is really just an illusion. And just going back to what the both of you have said, there is room enough at the table for everybody. And truly like just even talking with the two of you, the sky really is the limit. Pilates is a really, uh, is growing and infiltrating all different kinds of um, other walks of life. And um, it's only, the limit is only as creative as you can think of. 
So I did. I did a little. It. I did a little Google Scholar. Uh, sorry, Google uh, Keyword Planner research just a couple of days ago. The Google Keyword Planner is a tool that you can use if you do marketing on Google, and it just tells you how many people are searching for a certain thing, you know, and you can say in a certain country or a certain city or whatever. And um, so I, I looked at the, the United States and I looked at people searching for Pilates classes near me. And there were several versions of this, you know, Pilates near me, Pilates sessions near me, Pilates places near me, that type of thing. And the number of searches is 899,000 per month in the US. That's almost a million per month, right? This is people looking for this. Now, when you go to Google and you type in Pilates classes near me, you're looking to buy a Pilates class like tonight, right? I mean, when you, like, just think about it, dear listener. If you go out and you type in like, you know, Thai food near me, it's like you're looking to buy Thai food now, mm. right? That That's what people type into Google when they're ready to make a purchase. So if there are 899,000 people a month typing into Google Pilates classes near me or some version of that, uh, then I went to the Ibis World website, which is the fitness industry kind of statistics body, and they do like industry reports, you know, how many Pilates studios are there in the United States? What's the size of the industry? How many people are employed? All that sort of stuff. And what they said was there's 48,500 Pilates and yoga studios right? So combined Pilates and yoga studios, 48,500, right? Now, I've got no idea how many of those are Pilates studios and how many are yoga, but let's be generous and say that 50% are Pilates, right? I think it's probably less than that because I think yoga is bigger, but let's just say it's 50%, right? So let's say 25,000 Pilates studios, right? Of those 25,000 Pilates studios, the vast majority are going to be like solo little shops, right? Someone teaching out of their spare bedroom or mom and pop, you know, business. And so they don't, so that is 36 people every month searching for every single business there is in the United States, right? So for every one Pilates studio there is, there are 36 people every month searching Pilates classes near me. Now, most of those businesses, if they're solo businesses, I mean, you guys both, um, or Kyle, especially you, you know, like you can't see more than like 20 clients on a regular basis, right? It's like, you just can't do it. And if you're good at what you do, you've got the same freaking 20 clients, you know, a decade later. So it's like, it's not like the good ones are looking for more business, right? They, they've got all the clients they need, right? So these people are typing in Pilates classes near me. There's not a, 899,000 a month, you know, there's not enough supply. There's too much demand. Right. What a golden I, opportunity. I was going to say, honestly, um, I personally run into this all the time. Two things. This happened literally yesterday. A woman saw me teaching my client in the private gym where I teach them and my people. And she asked me if I was available. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm teaching the maximum number of humans that I enjoy. And like, I don't have space in my schedule. And I am constantly in a position where I have to refer people like I have a handful of instructors that I know that I am continually giving clients to because I don't want them and, or, and can't take them into my schedule. Um, and the second point I wanted to make, this is very lowbrow pop culture, but maybe listeners will enjoy this. It was circulating Instagram and the internet for the last couple of weeks, but New Beauty, which is like not a reputable at all um, news publication, did publish an article that has been going viral because um, it was 
telling everybody what the top workouts of 2023 were and Pilates was the top of the list. Um, and so everyone from like Kim Kardashian to Kylie Jenner, everyone reposted this article and it's been all over the internet. So if Pilates wasn't already on fire as like an extremely popular workout, it is now even more in the metasphere than it was prior to like three weeks ago. So you're in a good industry to make some money. Oh, great. Well, send me that that article, please, because I haven't seen it. And I've just been working on this meme uh, about that. So um, I'd really appreciate having that. Okay, I'll send it to you. It's terrible news. It's very, it's not a reputable mm. publication, but it's been all over the internet. So now it is. Uh, if, news. if Kylie Jenner shared it, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it. Kardashians. Good talk, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, Nat. Mm. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.